Welcome to the Student Affairs Spectacular, the weekly podcast giving you a front row seat to the greatest student affairs show on earth. And now your ringmasters, Tom Kriegelstein and Dustin Ramsdell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our premiere episode of the Student Affairs Spectacular podcast. Uh, so my name is Dustin Ramsell, just to introduce myself. I'm a grad student finishing up my program and excited to get into the world of student affairs. And part of that is doing this podcast. And my partner in crime is Tom Kriegelstein. Uh, and my history is uh, the founder of SA Chat, Student Affairs Collective, Student Leader Collective, SL Chat, uh, just dedicating my life to helping student affairs professionals and student leaders uh, elevate to higher levels of success. Yeah, that's kind of how I happened upon this opportunity. We're really looking forward to getting this podcast off the ground. Hope people enjoy it. Uh, definitely eager to hear your all's feedback and ideas for episodes. Uh, but where we're at now, uh, we have our premiere episode with the head of NASPA, Kevin Kruger. Uh, he sat down to chat with us about the idea of uh, balance and uh, the issues of burnout and how to just be uh, your best self and able to kind of uh, bring your uh, best work to the table as part of all the different organizations, all the professionals uh, within our community. Um, and he really just gave us a lot of wisdom of his long tenure in student affairs, uh, specifically stuff like the knowledge and experience uh, that he sees as being essential to moving up the ladder, which uh, obviously I felt was pretty awesome to hear being someone who's doing a job search right now is all really uh, pretty useful stuff uh, in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm, and it related to that, it, I, he talks also, because he shared his story, um, and, and it's, a, it's, it's surprisingly interesting because I think a lot of people out there will relate to his story of how he got from an RA all the way to the NASPA president. And, and he talks about when he was at his position, what are the things he was looking for to make sure he would go to that next level? Um, and he was always working on that. So I think there's, that's that's going to be really valuable for some people to hear. Absolutely. And uh, I think the, the next big thing, or kind of one of the other big things that I hope people kind of take away, um, where is uh, kind of unique ideas on balance and kind of what that means for him. It's kind of a hot topic of just figuring out how to uh, separate everything where you, you know, you're working where you live and um, taking things home and doing nighttime events and all this kind of crazy stuff that student affairs uh, kind of uh, come to expect. So um, I really found that pretty interesting of just his perspective on that. Um, and just, again, trying to learn as I'm and, you know, eagerly entering the field of just how to be able to um, be my best self and not let you know the the eagerness and maybe like passion to take over and do too much to where I'm not able to do anything at all. Um, so it was really really enjoyable. We really thank him for taking the time out to talk with us. Yeah, uh, and, and before we dig into it, the one final thing I just want to share is that uh, when he he shared some at the end towards the end, he shared some really cool tips on how um, how you can maximize your value within student affairs. And I think there were, there were seven, uh, six five or six tips that are just extremely valuable so I'm excited for you guys to to hear those and and also uh, you're gonna hear um, some tapping on the keyboard <laughs> at one point and it's only because Kevin was so passionate about what he was talking about that he kept tapping his his uh, near his mic on his keyboard yeah. so heads up on that just translate it into his excitement for the the uh, profession yeah you're getting it all uh, for this episode uh, so uh, sit back relax enjoy Enjoy uh, episode. And before we get in 
to the episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to our awesome sponsor, the National Society of Leadership and Success, which if you haven't checked them out, is an amazing speaker series and leadership program. And I know this firsthand because I was actually a broadcast speaker for the society two times in the past, alongside big names like Stephen Covey, Patch Adams, and the founder of Zappos, Tony Shea. And I've experienced the amazing opportunities this society offers its students by helping them discover and achieve their purpose. With over 400 campuses nationwide, they are truly are positively impacting retention rates and they just offer so much value to a campus. So if you haven't seen them or heard of them, I highly recommend you check them out at societyleadership.org. All right, with that, let's get the show started. Yeah, Dustin, how you doing? Hey, going. that's going pretty well. Hey, Kevin, Good. how you doing? It's Tom. Hey Tom, nice to hear you guys. Yeah, likewise. How's it going over there? Well, we're we're you know we're in big major shutdown because of the snowstorm, so uh, I'm actually home. Oh wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, yeah. I saw that on Twitter that like everybody's uh, yeah, the federal, yeah. Uh, yeah, the federal government was closed, and so um, every, you know everything's shut down. We don't you know just like New York, no one handles this very well. <laughs> well, actually, New York schools stay open. They uh, they they yeah. have a, a bit of an issue with staying open, no matter how much snow is on the ground. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's we're, we're pretty we're pretty wimpy down here. <laughs> it was actually De Blasio's first uh, day in office, and they had we hit with a massive snowstorm, and um, and then and he had all sorts of issues with the plows, and then the second big snowstorm hits, and he decides to keep the schools open. So parents were upset, teachers were upset. He and I've some, heard that. Yeah, and someone interviewed him. He's like, I just want the snow to end. Being a mayor or, or a uh, superintendent of a school just is no good call there. <laughs> yeah, it you know, yeah, yeah. makes someone angry with their decision another way. Right. Um, There's no way around it. Uh, <laughs> cool. Um, so just to just start it off, uh, kind of the standard way we're doing this, like your your typical kind of student affairs story and um, how you got into everything and uh, kind of to where you are now. Sure, sure. Well, my typical student affairs story is, is a pretty typical student affairs story. I was a <laughs> RA and an orientation advisor at University of Albany, actually, up the road from you guys. And I uh, was heading to uh, teach social studies education to 10th graders. And after one year of that experience, I realized I wasn't cut out for 10th graders. And, uh, you know, went back to my hall director who was, you know, I was, I knew, and, and I said, you know, I had to ask that facial question, which was, you know, how do you get to do what you do? And at that time, uh, we didn't have a lot of undergraduate internships and that kind of thing. So there wasn't a lot of knowledge about student affairs. Didn't really know that there was a program available. In any case, uh, I got hooked in right away, came down to the University of Maryland, did my master's there. And uh, that was sort of my entree. And then um, really quickly in my career, I decided I wanted to be a vice president for student affairs. So I began kind of creating, a, crafting a career that had a lot of different um, kind of horizontal elements to it. I worked in residential life and orientation and student activities, admissions, uh, eventually was a dean of students. Um, and then I had this opportunity at NASPA, uh, the executive director at the time I knew from University of Maryland. She. Uh, kind of got me to get interested in this job and I said well I'll do this for two years and then I'll go back to a campus. Uh, I'm ending my 20th year uh, in NASPA <laughs> in July. So you see how that went. <laughs> wow. Um, but I really, kind of, I really kind of fell in love with the work. I fell in love with the, uh, the, the, the idea of working on issues that were about affecting higher education in a broad sense and uh, cut across multiple types of campuses. 
and uh, and I loved the entrepreneurial spirit that NASPA had, and uh, it just stayed uh, interested in it. And then. Um, Three years ago, Gwen Dungy, who had been the executive director for quite some time, retired. They did a national search. I applied, got the job. And now uh, this March will be ending my second year as the president and CEO of NASPA. So that's my career track, a little non-traditional, but um, stayed in the family. Um, and um, still, still love the, still love the work. I mean, I think what's going on in higher education today is so interesting and uh, and challenging. Um, and I, you know, believe more than ever today that student affairs plays such a critical role in student learning and success on campus. So uh, it's nice to have a, a part in that. Yeah, and Kevin, it's it's really interesting to hear. You know, you sort of you you followed this path from an RA. You were an RA, and then you gradually moved yeah. up. And I'm just really curious because a lot of the list are going to be people who are in those first couple of years, three, four years, maybe right. even five, six years in. What was the time frame uh, between each position for you? Just so we can sort of get a, just a rough time frame. Yeah. Like, was it three yeah, years Yeah, that's a good here? question. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I kind of, um, and, and I think it's probably similar today. I think, um, you know, I was sort of staying, sticking around for, you know, three to five years per position. Um, enough time to kind of get my feet planted but I knew that I also was interested for me personally was interested in moving up so uh, I looked for opportunities to go to the next level and so that meant not staying any place too long uh, I think I longest place I was in student activities for about five years um, at the University of Maryland um, so uh, yeah it's a good question you know and, and yeah, the other thing I'll just add that you know one of the things that I got from one of my early mentors was again at that time and I think it's changed but sort of you know I asked the question what what are the what's the skill set and what's the set of competencies necessary to be successful at the next levels? Um, and I think that's changed um, to some degree because I think today I would have a different answer today than before. Um, but I think for for those of your listeners who are thinking about a career uh, trajectory that would be moving up. Um, and I think the, the key thing, you know, one of the key places is obviously be successful in your current job. But then the second is, how can I add responsibilities or um, areas in my position that will help me be as competitive as possible for the next level? That's great. That's great. And just a random observation. I feel like I just want to, like, get out to the world. I, for some reason, a lot of people I've encountered, like, their first track before they went into student affairs was, like, social studies education for some reason. I don't know if that's, like, a thing or not, but I just have to, like, say that just to, like... <laughs> If people like once this episode goes live and like they'll comment, be like, I see that all the time too. I just have to like put that onto oh, the world, see it comes back, just to say that. <laughs> um, so, because I just want to jump ahead, I guess, like, because uh, what you were saying leads into really, uh, you know, what we want kind of like the theme for this episode of like burnout and everything, because the idea of being, you know, the most competitive professional and doing um, good work so that you can kind of get ahead to whatever that next step might be. Um, I guess why, like, because I guess it's just a thing that I, I've known that a lot of student affairs professionals can get really stressed out with just like kind of the work. So I guess like it's a, it's a field that chooses people, you know, they, they kind of choose to go into it. People kind of help them through and they're super excited to do the work. But then maybe a few years later, they're the one that's like cynical and jaded because they maybe have overexerted themselves trying to be the most competitive professional they can. Like, how do you how does that total 180 feel like happen? You know, this is kind of digging in right into the kind of the, the heart of it. Why do you why do you feel like that might be a, a trend for some people that they kind of get all stressed out with all like all the things they want to do? Yeah, it's a really good question. I have a couple of, you know, thoughts. Um, um, one is I think that people who choose helping professions 
um, or teaching professions are making a choice to do something they love, but they're also trading off then um, a, uh, a salary potential that would be different if they'd gone into a different field. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's a subtle thing, but I think one of the things that contributes sometimes is that, you know, uh, it takes a while to kind of get to a salary level in this field. I mean, you can do pretty well if you stick, stick at it, but early on, you're working a lot of hours. You're, you're helping students be successful. They graduate and get a job as a, as a, you know, their first job may get now as a, as a first year out, the person, very person you helped might be getting paid more than you're making with your master's degree. And I think there's sort of a quality of effort versus how much you're paid kind of calculus that sometimes contributes to that burnout a little bit. Um, I remember early on in my career, you know, knowing people who went to work for IBM or for uh, in the, obviously in the for-profit sector, and you kind of have to you have to kind of get rid of that resentment. Um, it's sort of a it's a that's a place you have to get to. And if you keep thinking about I'm working in this hard, but I'm only making this amount of money, I think it contributes to the sense of of uh, being under you know underpaid and underappreciated in some some level. So that's one thing. I think the other thing I think that's for me is important is that. In the last 10 years, I think the work of student affairs has gotten um, exponentially more complex and more um, uh, uh, serious in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, for example, the role that we now play in supporting students who have serious psychological issues, it doesn't matter whether you're in the career center or in res life or student activities, everywhere I go on, on campus, when I talk about this issue, I get uh, lots of head nods like, wow, I'm just like, it's just overwhelming sometimes that, the, you know, the, the kind of pressure you're under uh, by the needs of some students that we have on campus. Um, so I think that that is, uh, is contributes to it to some, to some degree. Um, uh, you know, and, and, you know, everything from the behavioral intervention teams and, uh, and the needs of low-income first-generation students and, and all the kinds of things that, that we are about trying to, um, to work with students in this, in this capacity, I think, contribute to some really tough jobs. Let's not forget also that in the last five years since the Great Recession, that there's been a contraction in the number of positions on campus. Uh, and so um, everybody is doing more with less. And I think that also contributes to this, uh, the sense of, you know, potential burnout or, or being overwhelmed um, uh, on campus, uh, uh, particularly among student affairs professionals. I'd add one more mor morale thing, which I'm, you know, pretty concerned about. And that's not, you know, it's really sort of the noise about this has increased certainly in the last two weeks, but it's, it's part of the overall um, sense of how student affairs is perceived on campus. And I go back to the Delta Cost Project research that we released a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and lots and lots of dialogue about what is called administrative bloat. And of course, when they're talking about administrative bloat, they're talking about administrators, some of whom are student affairs professionals. And I think that that kind of feel, I think, think um, student affairs professionals are starting to feel a little beleaguered and maybe undervalued by the academy as, as compared to maybe how hard they think they work and the role that they play in the success of students. And that can be, uh, that kind of morale piece is, 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 I think is important. Do you think in, you know, you said you, you sort of stumbled into student affairs and a lot of the people who have been in for several years, they're saying they, they have this sense of, it's the profession that found me, I didn't find it. Is there, it's a two-parter question, is there, a, is there a shift now? Is that starting to change and the new, new students, new student affairs professionals coming in, they wanted to do this from, from the time they enter college? And then the second part related to the burnout, are we better preparing them in the grad programs for for these long hours, these these issues they're going to face when it comes to um, you know administration yeah. bloat and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, on the first point, I think uh, people who are interested in affairs today um, are significantly more aware of the profession and what it is and what the jobs are than, you know, 10, 15 years ago. The combination of, uh, you know, NASPA, you know, the NASPA Undergraduate Fellows Program or the AKUOI Internship Program, the NOTA Internship Program, the fact that NASPA and ACPA both have undergraduate members, we have undergraduate members come to our conferences. I think there's a much more informed um, a, a cohort of folks who come into student affairs that don't sort of stumble into it as much. So I think that's, um, I think it's really positive. I think that uh, I see the people coming into these programs being much more savvy and understanding of the, the nature of the work a little bit, which I think is great. Um, uh, now on, this, on the second point, you know, which is, do we need to do a better job of helping people understand what these jobs really entail? Um, you know, I mean, just kind of as a, as a sidebar, I hear people say that they think this is a millennial generation issue, and I really disagree with that. Um, you know, you hear characteristics of millennials like they don't, you know, they, they, you know, they're more self-centered, or they really want time for themselves and time off, time off of work, um, and that that's not a really good fit for student affairs. And you hear sometimes folks in my cohort, age cohort, bemoaning the fact that this new group is, doesn't work as hard. I just don't see it. Um, I, I don't see that as the factor. Um, I think that. Um, you know, a couple things for me come to mind. Uh, I don't think it really matters whether you're a, a 10th grade English teacher or you're working for a law firm or a consulting firm um, or an engineering firm or student affairs uh, as a, a higher education institution. The first 10 years of your career are a grind. I mean, you know, it, there's this just the reality that you have to work hard in order to get someplace. Um, and I think that there's a real sort of foundation laying that takes place in the early part of the career. And I think we could do a better job of helping people understand that. Um, really good book called uh, Why the 20s Matter um, uh, that came out last year that uh, uh, talks about this sort of the, the, the role that the 20s play in establishing a really critical foundation for the rest of your career. And sometimes that does mean kind of more hours. And uh, Shannon Ellis, who's the Vice President of Student Affairs at the University of Nevada, Reno, um, has said this, and I really agree with her. When, when people start talking about you know work-life balance, for example, and, and uh, she just kind of goes ballistic about it because she's like, you know, you know there is no work-life balance. You're always gonna work more than ever, than, than you're gonna have time off of work. And that we sort of set people up for failure by saying there's gonna be a balance because balance assumes equal equity. Right. Well, you're, you're always gonna work a lot more than you have time off. And what we really need to really help people understand is to live a meaningful life, to live a, meaning, a life of purpose. You wanna be committed to the work that you're doing at work, but you also wanna find these things outside of work that give you additional meaning and, and allow you to recharge. And that doesn't mean necessarily balance, but it does mean um, finding those avenues that really allow you to uh, recharge, be refreshed, um, and feel like you have some outlets for things that are important to you other than just work, because um, that does kind of become a grind at some point. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When you said the book, Why the 20s Matter, I thought you meant the 1920s. And so I was, oh. I was trying to go there. And I was it's like, another important era. I yeah. mean, just not maybe in this context. But, I was yeah. like, I was trying to, I was like, yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not that old. <laughs> I was like, I was just waiting to hear how the tie would come in. But then, and I actually wrote no, down. Funny, but, you know, I was, that's funny because I was, I was at this meeting. I was at this thing that uh, Ken Elmore does at uh, BU called yeah. the Confab. 
Yeah. Um, and I flew in, flew into that. There was this guy from MIT who was talking about uh, ACUI, the College Union folks, about their 100-year anniversary is coming up in March. And uh, he said, you know, I really don't care about the last 100 years, frankly. You know, I really care about, like, the next 100 years. And it's how, you know, so, you know, thankfully I wasn't talking about the 1920s, which would kind of make me seem a little out of touch, right? Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, and I guess that's an interesting aspect because, like, what you've kind of seen about, like, why this happens and, like, the context of, like, morale and everything, um, a big point that we wanted to kind of uh, unpack is, like, if there's more pressure one way or the other, if it's, like, a coalescing of all of these factors of, like, you know, is it on the individual? Is it the department, the institution? Is it just, like, the whole community of student affairs people? Like, to affect this kind of, uh, you know, like the perspective of how much you do or don't have to work. And like, I guess it is like the, the balance is the buzzword right now, which, which like you said, if you think about it, means that it's like 50-50, which there's never going to be that line in the concrete of just like, that's where it ends and this is where this begins, you know? So um, where do you think that like all these kind of pieces of the puzzle fit into each other of like micro to my, uh, macro? Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, there's some great questions. And of course, yeah, you know, I'd, I would say a couple things, you know, um, at the macro level, I think, you know, it starts at the kind of at the at the college president's level, um, and it kind of filters down that the expectations. You know, I, I think I don't think it's insignificant that as cost has increased in higher education, the equation for what I get out of it is 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 become more important. So I think presidents, in particular, are very keen on on having to develop a sense of ROI for the students who paid that kind of money and that kind of tuition money. So I think that that pressure has rippled rippled down, and again, I think this has put. More more pressure on on uh, every faculty as well as uh, administrators um, to uh, uh, you know, to really produce a, a fairly high level product. Um, I, I, I got to go back. I do think that two things that are happening on, in higher education are not uh, insignificant. I do think that that this whole notion that we are paying attention to the uh, psychological issues that are facing our students is is just uh, almost overwhelming at times. Uh, you know, no matter what campus, uh, you, you, if you ask people, well, how many psych transports did you have last semester? You're going to get a number that shocks you in every campus. How many suicide attempts did you have? Um, uh, you know, it, how much time people are spending in those kinds of one-on-one um, -on -one interactions, crisis management interactions, I think is is significant. Um, uh, all the Title IX requirements, all the uh, pension being paid to campuses right now in terms of sexual assault, um, sexual harassment, sexual violence, the continuing issues with alcohol and other drug uh, abuse issues. I mean, it, it's a pretty big pile of stuff. And you know, I think the challenge here is, I think the reason is one of the things is that people got into this field because they wanted to make a difference. They liked what they had as an experience as a college student um, and the student affairs environment. And not to say that they were looking for a fun, a fun job, but, but I think the, the fun factor has decreased a little bit over the last, you know, number five, 10 years because yeah. the seriousness of some of the issues have increased. You know, and then tack onto that, you know, other things that are happening in higher ed, like the increase now we're seeing in the number of first generation low income students who are coming to college and what it takes for the help to them, for them to be successful. Um, uh, decrease in funding, a decrease in staffing. I think that, you know, again, in aggregate, I think that those things have become um, challenges. Now, let me just say that, you know, I think this is also a leadership issue. And I think that we um, have to have to um, have some care about the people who are um, working in our organizations. And 
Um, I mean, really, the flag bearer for me of this of this approach is Larry Roper, who was the v vice president of student affairs at Oregon State University, old colleague of mine from Maryland, and he, he just had this way of looking at the work that we do, and really meant, you know, really wanted people to be able to have lives outside of work, and tried to model that himself. Um, so this is a leadership issue. So Larry had a child, had a young you know, a boy, you know, he's now almost in college, but he would go home every day at four, so he could meet his son after school, um, have a little time with him before you know dinner, and then and then he'd go back to work. But I think sometimes you know in the you know that we model um, a behavior that maybe is not sustainable um, for most folks, and that is you know be the first one in, get there at six thirty in the morning, and then you know you're still there at nine o'clock at night, and and it's very hard I think if you're 25 or 28 and you're in your first job. Or to and your boss is cranking out 70 hours a week it's real hard to walk out the door at five o'clock and i think that we have to pay attention to this dimension because you know you guys have raised this and i think it's really important we, that we don't burn out our young professionals um, because we need them um, you know this profession is graying out i mean we're seeing a lot of top level movement both at college presidents vice presidents senior level folks and and you know we need to make sure that we've got the right talent pool in the in the our young professionals and mid-level professionals and not burn them out so they can rise up to these positions so yeah, I think it's a, you know I think it's a lot of different things um, and it's a culture you know because I know some campuses where it's not this way and I know some that it's just it's a grind so I do think that an element of leadership that's overlooked is this how do you create a culture where where the people that work in that organization um, can um, can have a life, um, can can uh, raise kids, or be in a relationship, or uh, exercise some interest in some outside activities without that being perceived as a lack of commitment to the organization. Um, and, you know, as a, in a, I do that in NASPA. I mean, I, I try to, you know, I want people to work at NASPA, and I've got a lot of student affairs folks working here. Um, I want this to be a place that you, you love your work, but that you are able to have a life in addition to your work. And I think that's that's an important piece. Now, if you work in a law firm, you know, nobody, no one cares about that. Um, they will <laughs> grind you out for 80 hours, and it's too bad if you don't like it. Um, you know, so th there is an element of it. You know, you get outside of higher ed, sometimes we're a little kind of protected in this. When you start talking to people outside in the corporate world, um, it's worse. So related to that, you know, the, the law firm, for example, if you go with that just a little bit more, it's because there's a thousand lawyer, junior level lawyers who are lined up ready to take that position. If we're seeing an increase in the number of student affairs pros coming into the profession and the higher ups yeah. are talking about the, the sort of weeding out of the fluff or trying to get rid of increase yeah. the ROI, are we are, are the are we pushing the younger ones to more and more levels to that they're like, well, if you can't handle it, you know, X is coming right behind you and ready to go. Um, is that is that happening, or is this is? You what are your thoughts around that? I don't, you know, I can't say, it's, I, I've never heard anybody express that in this field. I've just never heard it. Um, okay. I've never heard that kind of eating out mentality at all. Um, I do think it's an interesting, I mean, it's a, as, a, as, a, as a future conversation or something that we're gonna need to pay attention to. I, I have seen, certainly I've observed that the number of graduate preparation programs is expanding. I see more and more campuses adding master's level higher ed programs. Um, I don't see the future of student affairs to be a, um, a, a have a upward trajectory in the number of jobs. I think it's probably the other way. So I do wonder. I don't think we're there right now, but I do wonder we're we're going to get to a place where we cannot hire. We don't have enough jobs to, for the number of people in these grad programs, and that will probably result in some attrition in the programs themselves. Maybe we'll see some contraction there. But right now, I think 
it just seems like we're, we're moving, getting close to maybe generating too many masters level folks for the jobs that we have available. And you know, you kind of see that in the law, the, you know, the law industry is going through that. I mean, there's been a lot of mm-hmm. uh, contraction in lawyers and you're seeing some law programs really struggling because I think in, in the, you, know, you spend all that money, you're gonna want a job. And I think as that gets challenged, you're gonna see law programs gonna contract as well. So it's, I don't know, we're not there yet, but I do, uh, I do think that that's something we probably should keep an eye on is whether the field is growing or expanding. And right now I think it's holding its own, but I think the 10 year future is, is, is uh, not so uh, bullish. That may be the first and last time we compare the law world to the student affairs world, you know, yeah. but, which, okay. is, Fair <laughs> yeah, which is probably good. And we'll, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is like a, a unique profession to try and be like, well, what's it like? I mean, if you compare it and stuff, so it's, cause it is like, I feel like it is like a totally yeah. different world where like I, I have talk to other people that are my age where it's just like like you do what at your job or this kind of thing or like they really care about your well-being what like so it's just like right, yeah right. it's just how it is um but i guess just that, like that future forecasting everything it is um good i guess to just kind of um kind of like wrap things up of just um and like for the future and everything if there's do you know of any um well is there any NASPA resources or um, committees or groups that people maybe if they want to kind of continue this conversation um that you may know of or other like book recommendations or anything that you've kind of felt is really like um poignant for you on like the yeah. issues of uh just yeah. Yeah, yeah. being your best self well let me let me just say this i th- you know i mean i mean let me answer it in a slightly different way i think um uh you know if you're as you're as you're listeners are, um, you know, thinking about their own career trajectory and what their career wants to look like. Um, I'd say um, uh, I put I put a very, very high value on getting involved professionally. So um, NASPA, ACPA, ACUI, CUHO, NODA, ASCA, it doesn't matter what it is. I think find a niche, develop that, I said that's A. I mean, and look at where the field is going. And I think that um, um, right now, I think um, the you, you see that there's a very strong emphasis on um, college completion and persistence, getting jobs, developing a set of key skills and competencies. So I, I think we want to, I think if I was a young professional, I would want to you know, um, make sure my um, my experience and assessment was uh, well-grounded and, and established. And if I couldn't get that um, at my job, I'd get it professionally in one of my professional associations. Um, this is clearly an, a profession of who you, not, not necessarily who you know to get the job, but it's a networking profession. So get out there, join an association, go to meetings, meet people, and don't meet, don't hang out with your friends. Go find the people who are the next level up. That's what that's your job at a professional association meeting. Like if you go to NASPA or ACPA or wherever you go, don't just go hang out at the, at the grad parties. Go go where the people are that are going to hire you. Make those connections because people like me, we notice people like you when you do that network network. Um, uh, third thing is I think you know. Really understand the you know the critical role uh, that uh, uh, budgeting and finance and fundraising is going to play in our future. That's going to be a really important thing. If you can develop that skill, that's another really strong leveraging opportunity for you professionally. And again, you can do that through associations or through just trying to find experiences uh, in your in your job. Um, and uh, and right now, given the uh, legal and regulatory environment we're in, the, um, anything you can do to develop expertise and experience in student conduct, um, judicial affairs, Title IX, behavioral intervention teams, all that all that kind of stuff, I think is another real strong thing. Again, something you can get professionally uh, in an association like NASPA or other others, but definitely something you can get. Um, you might ask for it by from your supervisor as well. So I'll end there. 
Those are great. Yeah, that's really. And, oh, you did ask in your little question. Let me just let, let me just throw one more thing out. Um, you know, despite the fact that I may be, people might be intimidated by the fact that I happen to be president of NASPA. I'm one of you. Um, um, my, uh, you can find me easily on the website. I, resp- I, I respond personally to every email. If somebody, one of your listeners, wants to follow me on Twitter at, at NASPAPRES, I never write about breakfast. I only write about higher ed issues. Um, uh, or wants to drop me a note, be happy to uh, engage in any kind of dialogue with uh, anybody in the profession, really. So um, I hope that anybody listening would take, adv- take advantage of that. I'm happy to uh, connect with you if, if you find that useful. And just because I know some people are going to care, what's your favorite breakfast? <laughs> okay, well, if you want to know, whole wheat toast with sliced avocado, a little salt and pepper. There, oh, that sounds That's really good. Very healthy breakfast. It's very good. No, um, I'm hungry. So, and yeah, I think all the, those tips are really useful for me because like I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm finishing up my graduate program and, you know, kind of getting knee deep into the job search and just like those things that kind of distinguish you. Um, I'm always kind of looking for those like, uh, uh, those tips and stuff. Yeah. So I, I find that personally just uh, helpful. So I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, just to kind of wrap everything up, we just, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this topic. And of course, it's one of those things we hopefully are just inching ever closer to an answer of just like how to. Um, really support all our professionals to be able to do the best work and help students and all that. So um, thanks again, Kevin, for uh, chatting with us for a little bit. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. Good luck, guys. Take care. Yeah. All thank right. You so much. Take care. Bye. Bye. As always, we want to thank our awesome sponsor, the National Society of Leadership and Success, for supporting this podcast and the whole student affairs community. If you haven't already, you can check them out at societyleadership.org to find out more information about how they can help your campus students discover and achieve their goals.